for this morning is Psalm 108. Bear with me, I'm losing my voice, but I'll do my best. <clears throat> a song, a psalm of David. My heart is confident, God. I will sing, I will sing praises with the whole of my being. Wake up harp and lyre, I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your faithful love is higher than the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens, and let your glory be over the whole earth. Save with your right hand and answer me, so that those you love may be rescued. God has spoken in his sanctuary. I will celebrate. I will divide up Shechem. I will apportion the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, and Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my wash basin. I will throw my sandal on Edom. I shout in triumph over Philistia. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will, who will lead me to Edom? God, haven't you rejected us? God, do, you do not march out with our, our armies. Give us aid against the foe, for human help is worthless. With God, we can perform violently, violently. He will trample our foes. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you, gents. Thank you. Man, what a good time of worship today, huh? Let us exalt the Lord together. That's what we're going to continue to do as we look into the Word. If you hadn't caught it yet, Psalm 108. No surprises here. We try to keep it simple for us. So if you didn't turn, go ahead and turn now to Psalm 108. As we try to unpack this. Now I'm going to tell you up front that I ended up in a very different place than I started with this psalm. I was reading through it and I was just kind of thinking it was going in one direction. And the more I dug, the more kind of a road map began to unfold that took me to a pretty incredible place. And so I'm going to try to, to lay that out for you and... Um, see what the message is that I believe that the Lord has for us today. Before we do that, let's go ahead and pray together. God, thank you so much for all that we've already experienced in our time of praise today. Thank you, Lord, that you're working amongst us, that you are holding us, you are equipping us, you have called us, and you're sending us. Lord, help us to see and get a clearer picture of that today as we open your word today in Psalm 108. We're grateful for it and pray that you'll be honored through it. In the name of Christ, amen. So I'm going to try to draw you this road map that I found in this text. And, and so we need to first understand Psalm 108 just as a whole. 
What is Psalm 108? Who wrote it? What did he write it for? Oh, what does it tell you? Who wrote it? Psalm of? David. Yeah, just look at me. You get the answer, all right? Psalm of David. So Psalm of David. And so David wrote this psalm, sort of. He sort of wrote this psalm. Now, what am I talking about with that? So, we don't know if David actually created Psalm 108. You've got to listen to the way I use that. We don't know if he created Psalm 108. We do know that David wrote Psalm 57. And we do know that David wrote Psalm 60. But we're not sure about 108. So, the connection, Psalm 57, Psalm 60. If you look carefully and you were to look back at those psalms, you will find that Psalm 108 was not written as Psalm 108. It takes the last half of Psalm 57, did I say 56? 57, and the last half of Psalm 60, and it comprises Psalm 108. So we know that David wrote those two psalms, and it may have been David that put them together. This very well might have happened, but we don't know for sure. But we know that the author of those two psalms was David, and we know that the Holy Spirit made sure that Psalm 108 was done here. So Psalm 57, verses 7 through 11, are five verses that comprise verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 108. Psalm 60, verses 5 through 12, are eight verses that comprise Psalm 6 through 13. So it's not exactly half. But it's pretty good, pretty close. Now, the interesting thing about Psalm 108, in, in light of Psalm 57 and 60, is that the first part that is not included in Psalm 108, I'll deal with the distress. It's a, it's a difficult time for David. He is struggling. But the parts, both parts, that comprise Psalm 108, sort of a, a corner has been turned and he's dealing with strength. So we have in Psalm 108 an entirely different psalm with an entirely different emphasis all the way through it. So what we have then is a psalm that comprises a totally different message than the one that that he was dealing with, and the situation, the circumstances that David was dealing with when he actually wrote those two other psalms. Now, when we talk about what's the new message, I'm going to rely a little on on Derek Kidner. Now, you hear me talk about Kidner. A lot of times I'll say, Kidner says. The reason is, Derek Kidner was one of the foremost scholars in the psalms. He was born 1913, died 2008. But anytime you go looking for the best psalm, best uh, commentaries on psalms, Kidner's always at the top. And I've always found him to be dead on, the best I can tell. So Kidner speaks about Psalm 108 by saying, For our use, Psalm 108 is for times which call for new initiative and ventures of faith. New initiatives and ventures of faith. Now that kind of excites me a bit. I'll tell you one in a second. But the question for us is, what new initiative or venture of faith are we to pursue based on this psalm. We as a church, right? So we need to know the message of the the psalm, but also then we have to look and say, okay, what is that application for us? What are we supposed to do as a church? So I want you to be asking that question in your mind as we're going through this. What are we supposed to do? What new venture of faith would we be 
called to do, to be a part of. Because it's important that we understand this in light of the body, the family, the church itself. So I'll tell you this. At first, I didn't know at all. I had no idea. I didn't know what he was talking about. I didn't know what we were called to. And I still don't know specifically, but it, came, it became clear the more I dug in, the more I found the pieces that fit. Uh, and I think that we can be on our way to discover what God, God has for us. So the map. The map for the new initiative, this venture of faith that we get in here, uh, is what we have to look at. Now, i got to tell you, I'm, I'm an adventurer of heart, at heart. I'm an adventurer at heart. That's not always in practice. But I like the idea of adventure. Anybody else with me? Y'all, anybody like adventure? Or, or you like the idea of adventure, but you really don't actually do it? Yeah, I get some waves on that one. Yeah, so I love that. And so when Karen and I first got married... We would go on short, inexpensive trips, unless we were going with someone and we were going to meet them there. But what we loved to do, even sometimes when we knew how we were supposed to get there, we would go get a map, the paper kind, right? The kind that you don't do on your phone. We didn't have those at the time. And so I think maybe we've lost something because there was something of this romantic, romantic adventurer spirit that when you just got a map in your hand and you spread it out on the table and you're like, okay, here's where we are. Here's where to get there. How do we get there? And we start tracing. We get these different colored pens. And we're like, well, we could go this way. And we would map that out and go, all right, now here's number two. And we would map that out. Then we would start to do what Google does for us now. We would start to try to calculate the time. Because it says here, this distance is 70 miles. All right, we're supposed to do like 60 miles. So 75 miles. How far can we get and how quickly? As we would go through that, it was an amazing, amazing time. And it built within us this sense of adventure, this sense of love for travel, for travel, for going places, for experiencing new things. And so the picture we get in Psalm 108 is one of excitement from the psalmist. He's excited. He's anticipating. He's got determination. Verse 1, look at how it starts. My heart is confident, God. God, I will sing. I will sing praises with the whole of my being. Right? With everything I've got. I'm all in. I'm burning the bridges. I'm going. Let's do this. There's an excitement that is building within his soul. So he declares, wake up, harp. Harp and lyre, I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the people. So he's, he's excited about his journey with God. He's excited about what God is leading him to. How about you? How about you? When you hear that, what, what does that do in you? Do you, do, you under, do you feel that same excitement with the Lord? Are you excited about what he's doing in your life? Are you excited about where he's carrying you? Or do you have kind of the ho-hum, I'll just pop it into Google and we'll get there. When we just pop it into Google and just get there, there's something we are missing in the experience with God. The journey with God. The excitement to know that God is working. And God is taking us to places perhaps we've never been. But man, the view from the top is amazing. Are you excited or are you kind of grown complacent in your life? I hope that today will kind of be a fire within you to understand that the journey and life with Christ is the most exciting life, the greatest opportunities, the more opportunities to see the glory of God in all kinds of situations and circumstances.
So, let's say you're all in. Let's say you've decided, I'm going, I'm burning the bridges, I'm not coming back, I'm not going to be what I was, I'm going to be what God is calling me to. What now? Let's look in verse 3 where he tells us where he's going to sing. Where is he going to sing praises? Where is he going to wake up the lyre and the harp and declare the glory of God? Where is he going? What does he say? Verse 3, I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you, where? Among the nations. So David has now told us where he's going to do what he's going to do. Or the message of the psalmist tells us what he's going to do. So he says here that he's going to the nations, but why is he going? I think there are two reasons that we see in this passage. Two reasons for him to declare God's glory among the nations. The first one, I'm going to jump down to 7 through 9. When we look at that, we see God has spoken in his sanctuary. I will celebrate. I will divide up Shechem. I will uh, apportion the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. I throw my sandal on Edom. I shout in triumph to Philistia. So when we look at 7 through 9, he says either I, my, or mine ten times in three verses. The declaration of God is that it is all mine. Everywhere is mine. All nations are God's. None are outside of his possession. And none are beyond his reach. And David knows this. David was king of Israel. That was his realm. That was his world. That was his territory. And he could just say, hey, declare the the praise of the Lord, Israel. All the Jews lift up your praise to the Lord. And that's where David could have stopped. But he didn't. He knew that God was not a localized God. It wasn't just for them. Let's bring it in to home. He's not just for our church. He's not just for our world. David knew that God was the God of all and that the praise of God needed to go to all the nations, to all the world. This was bigger to him than just a local declaration of praise. Now, we had an exercise this morning which was amazing where we lifted up praise to the Lord together. Does it stop there? Do do we just declare the praises of God back and forth to each other. It's very important. And we saw today it was very uplifting. It's very encouraging. It draws us into worship. But where does it go from there? What happens next? David acknowledges that God is the God of all the nations, that God deserves the praises of all the nations because all the nations belong to him. Everywhere you can ever step your foot on this planet, God owns that. God owns that people. God declares his praise to those people, and God deserves the glory of those people. So that's one reason. God deserves it. He is worthy of worship from all nations. Secondly, in verse 5, back up to 5, God be exalted above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. Save with your right hand and answer me so that those you love may be rescued. So verse 5, God's glory is going to be declared to the entire world so that, 
So that, so God will be glorified, and that's the ultimate reason, but so that, verse 6, that God will save with his right hand, and that those God loves will be rescued. This is a song about a rescue mission. This is the journey. It's a rescue mission. Declaring the praise of God and declaring the salvation of God among the peoples. But, we have a problem. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? So the problem is there is a fortified city among the nations. Right? In the context of Psalm 60, where this was originally written, David has been humbled through failed attacks, specifically by Edom, and counterattacks by them. So now there's a turn in David's outlook. The first part of both of those psalms is bleak. David is feeling the weight. He's feeling the pressure. And now there's a turn in his attitude. I'm going to go back to Kidner on this one. He said, it is one thing to glory in the might of God. Catch this. It's one thing to glory in the might of God. It's another to venture forth in it. All right, let that sink in and, and catch what he's saying. It's easy to, to declare the praise of God here. But when you are called to venture out in it, it's a whole different thing. The task is overwhelming. The fortified city is beyond David's resources. And unless God goes with him, indeed, unless he goes before him, David says, who will bring me and who will lead me, then he will fail. And this is not taken for granted. The humbling lesson of God's withdrawal in the first part of 60 is frankly faced. But he goes on, note the new spirit of attack. The spirit of attack from David and all of David's self-mistrust. The enemy is no longer the invader, but the one invaded. Finally, prayer turns into affirmation and the lonely venture into a partnership. For our part, he says, there will be valiant deeds. For God's part, there will be not only his hand on ours, but his foot on the enemy. So 12 and 13 says, give us aid against the foe, for human help is worthless. God, give us aid. We cannot do this. We cannot overtake a fortified city. We cannot take the land. But verse 13, with God, we will perform valiantly. He will trample our foes. So we will perform valiantly, but God is the one who will trample our foes. So in verse 10, David identifies the fortified land as Edom. This was closed off to David. He couldn't take it. And Edom in Scripture, in the Old Testament, is a region that was south of the Dead Sea, and it was always, it was a perpetual enemy of Israel. And that's who he's talking about. But David knows that God owns Edom too. Even this perpetual enemy that David can't overtake, he knows that God owns Edom and he will give him victory and he will take the land. So what's the principle that we see in this? The principle is that no enemy stronghold can stand when God is empowering the mission. Ever. It cannot stand. It may hold off for a while, but it cannot stand when God is empowering the mission. Now, question that we need to ask is, did I take, take a leap here? Did I take a leap by, by interpreting it this way 
and giving this application? Or is there reasons? Now, if we follow the map, here's what I've told you so far. All the nations belong to God, verses 7 through 9. His glory is to be known among all the nations, verse 5. The psalmist will declare God's glory among the nations, verse 3. Verse 10, there are regions that are fortified, that are unreached, or a stronghold prevents it. The psalmist is powerless on his own to overcome the strongholds, verses 10 through 12 and 13. God's power will break down the strongholds and make way for the glory. So the question is, is this right? Is this the message for us out of Psalm 108? The question then is, is there anything to help us know that it's right? And I believe there is. I'm certain that there is. So there's a key to the map for us to understand. There's a key to this map that paves the way for this journey. Scholars agree pretty much across the board that the words of Psalm 108 verse 3 which says, I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. They agree that these are words that are nearly identical in structure and in meaning to Psalm 1849. Psalm 1849 reads, I will give thanks to you among the nations, Lord. I will sing praises about your name. So there you have it. Right? Those words are identical. You're welcome. So what? Big deal. Okay, we've just introduced another psalm. We've got to get somewhere with that. The big deal is that Paul quotes Psalm 1849 in Romans 15.9. Okay, so if you're following the map here, we get Psalm 108. We get the words of Psalm 108 that, that is the heart of what David is talking about. Same words that are in Psalm 1849. Paul quotes 1849 in Romans 15.9. In context, that reads, Now may the God who gives endurance... Again, he's talking to the Romans, the Roman church. And the Roman church was comprised of various peoples. It was a very broad, multicultural church. But now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the Father, and so that Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. This is the basis of Paul's mission. This is the basis of why Paul was called as an apostle, so that the glory of God may be taken to the Gentiles. He even takes verse uh, 49 and he puts in the Gentiles, the name the Gentiles, the word the Gentiles, which is everybody who's not a Jew. They were considered the nations. And so Paul just used Psalm 1849 as a text that undergirds his mission and the reason for the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. So, let's summarize again. All the nations belong to God. His glory is to be known among all the nations. Our worship, our worship must translate into action among the nations. There are regions that are fortified. Satan has created a stronghold in certain regions around our world. And it is difficult to penetrate. Some are closed. 
at this point. And they are not reached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are small and powerless to do much of anything. But God's power will break down the strongholds and make way for his glory. So what's our destination? Where should we be heading as a church? Where does this lead? As I found it, it's both simple and complex. Our worship must somehow translate into declaration of the glory of God among all the peoples. It's that line right there. Our worship, what we do. But our worship should not just be what we do. Our worship should be who we are. We are worshipers of God all the time and in all circumstances. Somehow that translates, that needs to translate into God's glory among the nations. So this means we have a part to play. The outstanding question is, what is our role? What are we called to do? We're not certainly called just to worship among ourselves, but to be a part of that great mission of going to the places and the peoples that have not yet heard the gospel and are not giving God the glory he deserves. Let's be clear. It's not do we have a role. It's not look around at us and say, what, are you kidding me? question is, really, are we up for the task? Are we up to what God calls us to? I'm hopeful of what that answer is, but we'll see. So, what do we do? Well, right now, I am calling us as a church to pray, to pray for that, the answer to that question, Lord, what is our role? We have a role as a church. We are called to be on mission. What is it? How are we to respond? What are we to do? Will you answer the call to pray? that's, That's all right now I'm asking you. Just answer the call to pray. Lord, what do you want from us? How can we be a part of the mission to the world, to the nations, to declare your praise and your glory so that those you love in those regions can hear the gospel and respond to it? That's it. Can you do that? Will you do that? And then once we know what and how, then I am calling on us for the same excitement, anticipation, and, destin- uh, and determination to do whatever and to go wherever, regardless of the cost. That's a big ask. But that's what we're called to. That's what we're called as believers in Christ, as people on mission. I'm also calling on one other thing. I'm calling on those who might be here today or watching online, who your own heart is a fortified city. Your own heart is still held captive by the influences, the schemes of Satan. And so you may be coming to church, but there's nothing really penetrating into that heart. There's nothing really making a difference in the world because you're still not living out the glory of God in your life. The glory of God is not shining from your heart. But that fortified city of your heart 
can be broken down. The walls can come down. You can receive the glory of God in your life through Jesus Christ. So I'm calling on you to consider this, to believe and to repent. And the Spirit of God can do all the changes. He does all the work. Same thing that we looked at in verse 10 is the same thing that can happen in your life where God can break down. We can't do anything to save you. and You can't do anything to save you. But God, God can make a difference in your life. Bow with me. Let's pray together. Father, I pray... uh, Lord, just that the calling will become personal. We talk a lot about the need of missions. We talk about the reality that there are places in this world that don't even know the name of Jesus, never heard the name of Jesus. And our hearts are for those places. We want them to know Jesus. But we just aren't willing to take the step that it would require (coughs) for us to play our role in getting the gospel there. God, wake us up. Shake us up. Let us understand the great excitement of the great adventure. Make us adventurers at heart for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom. Use us, Lord. Show us, Lord, what our place is in this, what our role is in this. For some, it might be to go themselves. For some, it might be to begin praying for those places where there are people that are are working to penetrate the darkness in the midst of darkness. Lord, whatever it is, please make us aware and please give us a drive and determination that our worship and our praise will not stay inside this building. God, we will take the gospel to the nations one way or another, somehow, some way. And the schemes and the plans of Satan will not overcome and he will not block us. He will not get a victory he does not deserve. And he doesn't deserve a single victory. So please use us. Begin to work in the people's lives, even if, as we're hearing these words right now. Begin to break down opposition, whether it's just doubt or whether it is just the sense of being overwhelmed with the tasks that would be before us, Lord. Replace that with a big vision of you, of who you are, and what you're capable of doing. Because even Edom belongs to you. Be glorified now in our worship, here and now. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's reflect on these things as we worship.